Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Live Oak Novel Review. For this episode, we begin chapter 3, the narrative shifting to Shayla Palmer, Kadeem's mother. We see her in jail, in her social worker's office, who is in the process of working on her file and setting her up to live in a halfway house once she's released from prison. It is our third uh, omnipresent system, going from slavery to education, now to the uh, judicial system. Building on the other chapters, it is another system where our central character is placed in the middle of, and it is failing her and keeping her in place, quite literally. My intention is that there is a clear narrative progression from one chapter to the next. And yet, each chapter so far also can exist independently, in a sense. They are reflections of individuals feeling immobile. And I think back to the title of the representation of a live oak, a tree that has a vast root system, yet physically in place and ultimately at the mercy of outside forces to do with it as they please. Although there is a suffering occurring thus far by central characters and lack in faith in controlling systems in the country and the country at large, I intended to include an underpinning of hope with the characters who are indefatigable and have an unwavering belief in doing good for others. The two social workers are key examples, Shayla's mother and then Miss Emily, the social worker for Shayla's case. However, the conflict is how these systems are set up for well-meaning people to not have enough resources to truly impact change. Shayla does not have, um, uh, you know, any resources, and she doesn't really hate Miss Emily, but more that this one person has a caseload so, uh, so full with so many people that it is essentially... Uh, makes her ineffective. The same for Shayla's mother, whose immense dedication leaked significantly into her personal life, in Shayla's opinion. Inspiration. Again, I wrote with the unexpected in mind for Shayla and this chapter. It is unclear why exactly she's in prison yet, but when depicting her, I thought of her essentially having the opposite reaction to her childhood and parents compared to Kadeem. Shayla saw her parents as hypocrites and strict, rather than role models and teachers. She had the natural ability to do well in school, and ironically, lacked the motivation to succeed. And uh, she is in full possession of the present bias, constantly neglecting doing the right thing in the present, and putting off uh, reformation until a later date. When considering her prison experience, again, could have depicted the obvious. Threats, abuse, and so on. There could have also been the cliche of Shayla using her time to read or better herself. Instead, prison is a painful experience because she is given unlimited time, in a sense, and she does literally nothing with it. She doesn't read or really interact with others or anything of the sort. It's just wasted time until she is released and is then fairly unsure that, you know, she'll recover. In addition to this chapter and this character, 
the obvious route uh, could have been this determination for her to regain her life with Kadeem again. However, at this stage, she is somewhat ambivalent and realistic that she likely will not put the proper effort into getting her child back. She is selfish and does not possess greater aspirations for the future. Craft and Structure I did not go into tremendous detail in describing prison in this chapter, but one of the interesting elements I considered was that to Shayla Palmer, it really wasn't that bad. If anything, it gave her time away from her vices, and she feels more protected here. In many ways, I see her as antithesis to Isaac and Kadeem, someone who appears content in a protected environment that doesn't ask or expect much from her. She doesn't crave independence or have much of a defined future in her mind. She's at a point where there's not much fight, and I think she illustrates the other side, the other effect of the themes and conflicts presented in the novel so far. Chapter 3. She looked at her going through a stack of papers on her desk. Stray manila folders, legal pads, and officially sealed PA Department of Corrections documents. Shayla knew it was a stalling technique the social worker was using, because she had forgotten details regarding her case, as in when she was scheduled to be released from jail and what the plan would be for her once she was out. The social worker, Miss Emily, seemed to be a kind and compassionate person, most likely a few years younger than her, 27, and possibly right out of college. Even though she was a young woman, she looked much older, with heavy bags under her eyes and a pallid, nearly gray face. She was clearly inundated and overworked and was doing her best. At her age, she should have been going out to bars and clubs in the city and having a good time, but Shayla could tell Miss Emily was consumed by her work. She was a good person who was really trying, but still, Shayla hated her. Shayla felt bad for feeling that way, but she could not help it. In honesty, it wasn't even real hatred for her, but what she represented. Miss Emily represented the system's real lack of care toward prisoners. To give this young social worker this insurmountable caseload was unfair to everyone involved. It was like another form of punishment on top of taking her freedom away. It was taking away well-intentioned individuals' ability to actually help her and other inmates. Shayla wanted to get better and not wind up back in here, and Miss Emily wanted the same thing, but that seemed to be as far as it went. If the system really wanted this, they would hire more caseworkers instead of more guards and cops. They would have clear plans in place for a person to actually be corrected and rehabilitated. Shayla believed she had the ability to change, and she was motivated to do so. Kadeem was out there, and she owed it to him to be his mom. However, there were other inmates so helpless, so far gone, that they would be back in jail no sooner than walking on the sidewalk again. It seemed the system wanted it this way, or wheels were too far in motion to stop. People were irate when money went to corrections facilities or public housing or detox facilities, yet they bitched and moaned when crime rates continued to rise. What did they expect when there were no resources and one college grad social worker for dozens of inmates and nowhere for the inmates to go? The opinion she figured was, fuck them, they're criminals, and they should suffer. Why give them breaks? Prison should be hell on earth. It should be impossible to lead a normal life once released. That's on you, buddy. Society has spoken. You must go. She breathed deeply and tried to think of something else. When she thought about these things, she felt desperate and hopeless. She told herself, just do you. Stay in your own lane. You can't change any of that stuff anyway. Just worry about yourself. Miss Emily appeared to have located Shayla's file and was flipping through a few pages. Looking at her earnestly searching for the right paperwork, 
Shayla's anger toward her started to dissipate, and she felt more sorry for her. Miss Emily probably wanted to change the world to some extent. She saw, maybe when she was a little girl, how much people were suffering, and she wanted to make a difference. She probably didn't sleep well and felt personally defeated when someone didn't rehabilitate. It was even likely some of the inmates on her caseload died in the streets. It was amazing how some people could care so much for strangers, strangers who were in such a bad way. Shayla wished she was like this. She was often disgusted by how selfish she really was, worrying about her needs above everything else. Her mom was a social worker and had this ability to get so invested in helping others, and honestly, Shayla recalled mainly resenting it. There would be nights when her mom would miss supper and not get home until the middle of the night because she was trying to find housing for someone or trying to get in touch with their relatives. When she was home, she would wring her hands and worry about a certain client, or would be on the phone or finishing notes. That was all attention Shayla wanted, and she often felt like her mother cared about her clients more than her. When she was young, Shayla would threaten to run away, and she actually did so on a few occasions. However, she would always return as the sun went down and her imagination went wild in the darkening streets. Not only was she jealous of the attention her mother gave to her work, she felt her parents were stern and much stricter than her parents, her friend's parents. Her parents would talk down about those parents who let their kids stay out to all hours, who didn't pressure them about school, and seemed to buy their kids top-of-the-line clothes. Her mom would say those parents had no discipline, and the kids were bound to grow up rudderless, and her father would shake his head and call them a disgrace and part of the growing problems in the neighborhood. Shayla would think of them as mean and then hypocritical as she entered adolescence. They carried themselves as better than everyone else, but they were no different. They both worked and took pride in their home, yes, but their home was attached to a row of homes of people they shook their heads at and called aimless. The line her mother would always say was that they were saving up to move out, but then grandmom needed help with her medical bills, or Uncle Lucius couldn't pay his rent, or the white folks gave them dirty looks when they went to an open house, or the bank wouldn't give them a decent loan, and so on. She began to believe they were just lying to her, and themselves. Lying to her that their hard work and morality was paying off, and that they were right on the cusp of moving out and starting a better life. Lying to themselves that they were better than their neighbors and were an American success story, when at the end of the day, they lived in the ghetto and still seemed to barely get by. Maybe they were afraid. Afraid to actually move out of a neighborhood where they knew everyone, to a more affluent, primarily white neighborhood, where people would say, there goes the property value or just not be cordial to them, and day by day hint that they were not wanted. And old old white ladies would say, oh, I don't know what's happening to our neighborhood. It certainly is changing. And then, of course, Shayla would experience that from a primarily white suburban school, and teachers would either patronize her or write her off as a dumb minority the first day. They would be selling out, in a way, to their neighborhood and family and friends. And the black folks would just say they wanted to be white folks, and then the white folks would never accept them because they were black. or they would be pleasantly surprised at how polite and respectful and how white they acted. Shayla figured she came to this conclusion at some point in her adolescence, though it was not fully articulated in her mind at this time. No, it was just a general conclusion of hopelessness, that nothing had meaning, so why even try? Why waste your time learning and busting your tail in school when you'd probably never make it too far off your block anyway? Why study for an A when you'd get passed along, as long as you weren't too much of a problem in school? Why aspire for a certain job when that job would just bring you misery and you could likely get welfare anyway? That was her thought as she was flunking and her parents were always yelling at her and she was hanging around kids who probably weren't good for her. Yes, that was her justification, her why, as her mother would say. When looking back at it now, she was likely a depressed young girl who was scared to try and to be an actually successful person. It's funny how you can tell yourself something doesn't matter and how easy it can be to explain in your head. 
Of course, now, as she was in the social worker's office of the jail, it was easy to be extremely regretful that she didn't try. However, there was this constant tick in her mind to just put something off. In school, it was studying and so forth. Not that it was particularly hard, she just didn't do it. And now, putting off sobriety each day, though she would wail about her plight in this heavy regret like sandbags on her head, would always be with her until she did the drug or drank enough until her mind was a total abyss. This social worker, or maybe a different one, would say that she was afraid of success, and that many people actually felt that way. Like if we actually get what we want and there is some downside, our entire understanding of ourselves and our world would implode. It made sense that she thought about her parents, finding an excuse not to move because some aspect would not be ideal. It also applied to herself, knowing how terrible she always felt and knowing the cure was just to knock all this shit off and still not doing it. Severely wanting a relationship with her son, but assuming he would be cold and resentful to her at this point, and thus stopping her pursuit before she really ever got started. Even now, as she politely nodded to the social worker and talked about how much she wanted to improve herself, somewhere she knew that was a lie, and that both what she said she would do and what she knew she wouldn't do combined to form the truth. She would want a better life, but once it was actually happening, she would get scared and go back to whatever substance would distort the reality of herself and the world. The truth was that she wanted the lie. She wanted to believe her own self-promises, and when she was drunk or high, she was a person she actually believed in and thought she could do it, but when the inebriation was over, she understood she could not. Okay, Miss Palmer, so we want to set you up in this halfway house in Germantown. It's one of those beautiful old mansions that St. Peregrine Church is currently restoring. By the time you are up for parole, it should be completed. What do you think? Miss Emily asked. That sounds fine. It will be all women of similar experiences as you, and you will be safe. There will be a top-of-the-line security system, and police will monitor to make sure you ladies are protected. Similar experiences. Well, yes. Um, women who were in sex trafficking. There will be counselors and group therapy sessions to help women feel confident to be on their own and away from their um, handlers. Okay, sounds fine. Great. Well, I'll recommend you for the house. It's been nice seeing you. Please keep up the good work. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Shayla sat in the day room of the jail which, with absolutely nothing to do. It was amazing, in a way, how there was nothing that needed to be done. That seemed to be some sort of paradise for some people. To not have to work or have any responsibilities. To just sit back and relax. In reality, it was some form of torture to just be limited to this room, with the dull fluorescent lights and the two rows of tables with attached seats, like the ones you would have in the cafeteria in school. They had some books to read, but she didn't really like doing that. The words just kind of whirled around in her head and she'd lose her place. Not in a major way, but she hated having to keep readjusting her eyes, especially if the print was small. The majority of the books seemed to be about England or some type of future space world, and she could never relate to them. Then, when she'd get in a good reading rhythm, her mind would start to wander or she'd suddenly realize there was something else she had to do. It was like everything else. If she just stuck with it, she'd have a, a mountain of books read. But she lost interest, gave up, and found a reason not to do it. She would play cards from time to time, but the inmates would always want to bet their food tray or commissary, and she at least never wanted to owe anyone, so she would bow out. That left her without a whole lot else besides doing someone's hair, watching whatever was on TV, or just daydreaming or sleeping. Her dad would say things like boredom is good or inevitable in most things you do, but the fun and joy came when they were done. He'd talk about how boring it must have been for Monet to paint with all those dots, but then he could step back and admire his masterpiece once he was done, and he'd be regarded as this great artist and genius forever. Very little art is done with a smile, he'd say, as well as, you can do anything if you put enough time into it. 
So jail was some ironic punishment for her. She had unlimited time and there was nothing she wanted to do. Just plain bored and in stasis. No movement besides one less day inside and one less day on earth. For how bad prison was, the lack of privacy, no sunlight, dealing with certain inmates, fights, and obvious lack of freedom, the truth was that there were elements you got used to, if not liked in a way. She didn't have to worry about Irv or any of the other Johns that became obsessive. There weren't nights when she went to bed with a knife or a gun at her side, like she had to do on the outside. Safety in general wasn't a major problem in jail. Sure, women would mouth off or make threats, but if you flew under the radar enough, kept to yourself, and kept civil with your bunkies, you typically didn't have to worry about anything major happening. There were times when she was roused from bed by some junkie in a flop house, his eyes crazed and either his pants around his ankles or a knife pointed at her throat. Just being on the streets at night was a constant risk, and she had to accept that she could be killed at any moment. She was also safe from herself here, too. Inmates would make hooch or smuggle in contraband, but the COs would typically put a stop to that fairly quickly, and she could get relatively clean. And although the boredom was torturous, she at least did not have to hustle her way to surviving for the day. She'd get up, be served three meals, and sleep or stare into nothingness in between. Shayla wanted that resolve. She wanted to be scared into never returning again, but it simply wasn't there. And many days, her fear was actually in returning outside. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. We conclude Chapter 3 in our next episode. Please be sure to follow on Instagram and visit Amazon for reading options. See you soon.